0: everyone. My name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast called Behind You. Once a week I come up on here and I talk about a true crime case and talk about it with you guys. And if that is something you're interested in, you can go to Spotify or Apple or wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday to listen to the audio version or go to my YouTube channel, Haley Elizabeth, every Wednesday for the visual version. And if not totally fine. Like, do not feel pressured to do so. We are just here to talk some true crime. This case is definitely one of the worst case that I ever had to research i want to give a content warning that the following includes discussion of rape graphic human torture such as breaking of bones needles and starvation adult dialogue and murder so viewer discretion is greatly greatly advised so with all of that being said let's get right into today's case. Junko Furuta was born on January 18th, 1971 in Saitama, Japan, more specifically the Misato area. She grew up with her mom, dad, and her older brother and her younger brother. She attended Yashio Minami High School. She was said to be a very, very good student. She was very lively. She kind of talked to a little bit of every friend group, and she also had very attractive features, which made her very popular in high school she actually had dreams of becoming a k-pop idol star and even though she was only in high school she was very mature and responsible for her age and a lot of her friends gave her the label as like the mom of the group you know how like in every friend group there's always the mother figure in the friend group the one that takes care of everyone that makes sure everyone has like eaten and like just make sure that everyone's okay that's basically who Junko was in her friend group and every time one of her friends was feeling down she would do everything in her power to just make them feel better as i said she was very mature and responsible for her age and that she had a part-time job at a plastic molding factory and she had saved most of the money that she had gotten from this factory job in order to fund for a little graduation trip she had planned for herself and even when she was a senior in high school she had really really good grades and even after high school she had a job already lined up for her at an electronics research. Taylor. So even after high school, she was set. She wanted to go to college. She already had a good paying job straight out of high school. She was saving up for a graduation trip. Like Junko had so much to look forward to in her future but it was also at her high school where she had caught the eye of 18 year old Hiroshi Miyano. I've heard people call him by his, um, I've heard people call him Hiroshi or Miyano, but for the video, I'm going to call him Hiroshi. Hiroshi was a high school dropout and was known for being trouble. He had anger issues at a very young age, and so his parents thought that maybe an outlet for him to release all of this anger would be entering him into judo. So he did judo all throughout middle and high school but actually this just made his anger even worse because now he was being taught to deal with his anger through violence instead of like anger management so it was also said that Hiroshi would frequently kick and beat his own mother. Shortly after he dropped out of high school he needed some money to fund his life so how he would get his money is by robbing men on the street and then shortly after that he joined the Yakuza gang. Now in the Yakuza a gang there's certain levels of superiority and uh Hiroshi was at the very bottom which was called Chinpira mostly consisted of theft and sexual assault a lot of people believe why Hiroshi targeted Junko was because this one time Hiroshi had asked Junko on a date and she declined and that made him angry others say that Junko was simply at the wrong place at the wrong time but unfortunately we would never know what actually happened, but these are just two of the main stories that I hear. And within this Yakuza gang, Hiroshi had three close friends, 17-year-old Joe Ogura, 16-year-old Shinji Minato, and 17-year-old Yasushi Watanabe. And it was said that these four boys, again, they were all in the low level of this Yakuza gang, and so mostly what they would do is rob people on the street or sexually assault women. And it was said, that just a couple weeks before the incident that i'm about to tell you they had actually raped another girl but they let her go after a couple of hours but the girl was way too scared to come forward to the police with her story because she knew that these guys were in the yakuza gang and she didn't want any of the members coming for her or her family so after the sexual assault on this one woman it was hiroshi and shinji that were trying to find their next victim on november 25th of 1998 a uh, Junko is on her bike riding home from work around 6 30 p.m and as she's riding her bike that is when Shinji comes out of the bushes and jumps in front of her bike and pushes her off her bike. Now Junko doesn't know Shinji. Shinji to her is just a random stranger and so she at first thought that she was getting mugged or something. After this happens Shinji basically just runs away and that is when Hiroshi was right across the street ironically because this was kind of a plan that Shinji and Hiroshi had premeditated so Hiroshi was right across the street he was noticing quote-unquote noticing the entire thing happening and so he ran over to Junko and he told her like oh my god are you all right what was with that guy and that is when Hiroshi asked Junko hey wouldn't it be smart if I walked you home because you never know where that guy went what if he comes back out later and so Junko recognizes Hiroshi Hiroshi from school actually so she already has this kind of trust with him so she's like yeah okay thank you so much like walk me home so after a while of talking she just kind of gets distracted and lost in the moment of their conversation that she doesn't realize that Hiroshi had actually led her to an abandoned warehouse when they got to the abandoned warehouse Hiroshi told Junko if she doesn't do what he says then she will be reported to the Yakuza gang and someone will come and kill her. So she abides by everything Hiroshi says because she doesn't want this gang to kill her or her family and that is when in this abandoned warehouse Hiroshi rapes Junko. And afterwards Hiroshi led Junko to a nearby motel where she was again raped twice more. The very next day on November 26th that is when Hiroshi calls his three friends in the Yakuza gang to basically brag about what he just did and then when Hiroshi gets off the phone around 3 a.m that night that is when Hiroshi meets up with Joe, Yasushi, and Shinji all at the park with Junko. All of them were at the park currently and Hiroshi had brought Junko's things with him and so they went looking through her things and they eventually found her address book and found out where she lived and so Hiroshi told Junko that if she doesn't abide by what they say they know where she lives so they could easily go to her house and kill her brothers and her parents. Junko was later taken to 16 year old Shinji's house and Shinji at the time lived with his parents and so um, his parents knew that Shinji was in the Yakuza gang so all of the questionable things that he would do the parents were not like not concerned they were just too scared to ask because they didn't want to you know know all of the bad things that he was doing. Hiroshi and Joe told Junko if the parents of Shinji asked K hey, who was that girl? She has to say that she is one of their girlfriends. She was led into Shinji's house where Shinji's parents didn't ask any questions about why Junko was there, and then they led Junko up to Shinji's room, and that is where she remained for the next month and a half. The very next day, on November 27th, the parents of Junko were very worried because Junko had never came home from work, so they called the police to fill a missing persons report. So, word spreads pretty fast about her disappearance, so they start making up flyers, and as well as the police, the police start organizing searches for Junko, asking witnesses. So when they saw that people were really looking for Junko, you know, organizing searches, the boys got very scared that they were going to get arrested because they had Junko and they didn't want to let Junko go because they were afraid that she was going to tell on them to the police. The boys basically told Junko to call her parents and tell her parents that she's okay and she ran away from home and she's currently staying with a friend and to beg them to call off the search. And they told her that if she didn't do this, then the Yakuza gang was going to come for her and her family. She didn't know what to do. Uh, She was also only 17 years old at the time. I'm not sure if I mentioned that already, but she was a young girl. She was very vulnerable and she was in a hopeless position where even if she were to try to tell her parents where she was, the three boys were staring at her the entire time. So it was very hard to, you know, say Anything. So Junko called her parents. She had ran away from home and she's currently safe, but she's living with a friend. She told her parents to call off the search, which her parents did indeed call off the search. She knows that the police aren't going to be looking for her. She knows that her family and her friends aren't going to be worried about her or actively search for her because she says that she's staying with a friend. So Junko kind of accepts quite quickly that. This is just going to be her life now. And then for the next 38 days, Junko sat in Shinji's house and was repeatedly raped and tortured every single day. It was estimated around 400 times during those 38 days. She was also beaten multiple times a day as well as starved and she wasn't given any clothes so she was naked all the time. The boys would force Junko to sleep on the balcony night in the freezing cold. They would also tie her wrist to the ceiling and use her as a punching bag as a way to beat her. And also over the next 38 days, she was burned with cigarettes, forced to dance to music naked in front of them, and inserted many objects inside her like scissors, bottles, light bulbs, etc. They also tore off her left nipple with pliers. She was forced to drink her own urine, eat her own feces, And live cockroaches. There was one point where they even poured lighter fluid on her and lit her on fire so she had third degree burns all over her body. They lit fireworks in her ears, genitals, and mouth. She had heavy weights dropped on all parts of her body, including her fingers, stomachs, and legs, which led to breaking them. And those are just some of the things that they would do to her on an everyday basis. Treating Junko as not even a person, just a toy. And even in the beginning of her captivity, after being beaten like this every single day and starved, they had actually beaten her so badly that she couldn't even breathe out of her nose. And all while this was going on, she was staying in Shinji's house and Shinji's parents knew that Junko was in there, but still didn't say a single word to anyone. As time went on the three boys decided to invite their friends over to also rape junko when these other gang members would come by they continued to treat junko like an object and still none of these boys ever said anything or thought that this was wrong they just continued to do what they did and thought that it was completely humane and fine to do until one day this specific gang member named Koichi actually came over to Shinji's house to see Junko and he came there with a couple more of his gang member friends and Koichi said that as soon as he saw Junko he just immediately felt extremely sick to his stomach and he felt like it was really really wrong that they're doing this he was the only person that actually saw that there was something wrong with this then when koichi's friends raped junko that is when koichi Also engaged in the rape in Junko, but he said that he couldn't even look at her. He didn't stop pursuing it because he was afraid that his friends, you know, being gang members, were going to kill him for being weak or kill his family for him being weak. So he just kind of did what others were doing, which, by the way, does not make it right at all. I don't want people to think like, oh, he was peer pressured. He had a lot of free will. Just to get out of there. So the fact that he was peer pressured, that doesn't make it right. That still makes it extremely disgusting and wrong. So after all of this happened, Koichi went home and he felt extremely terrible and traumatized by the entire thing. He couldn't stop thinking about what he had done and how the state of that poor girl was. And so he actually opened up to his brother about what happened and told his brother about The girl that they had and his brother ended up telling his parents. So the parents hearing this story from Koichi, they immediately call the police and tell them about the girl being held captive at Shinji's house. And so the police said that they would go over to Shinji's house just to see what was going on. And so eventually the police did go to Shinji's house, but when they went to Shinji's house it was Shinji's parents that opened up the door. So the police had asked the parents questions about what was going on, if there was a girl in there, and the parents just completely lied and said that there was no one in there, that they don't know what they're talking about. All of these lies, essentially. Shinji's parents even offered to the police, you could come inside and take a look if you want. And so the police... Kind of took that as like, okay, if they're inviting us inside, that probably means that they have nothing to hide if they're so open with, you know, giving us access to their home. The police took that as exactly that and left without even looking inside of the house, not knowing that Junko was still inside. And then in early December of 1988, a couple weeks into Junko's captivity, Junko at one point was able to get access to a phone while the boys were distracted. and She was actually able to dial the police, but before she was able to say anything, one of the boys caught her and snatched the phone out of her hand. As punishment for trying to call the police, the boys poured lighter fluid over her legs and set her on fire. Also during her captivity towards the end, Junko was constantly pleading with the boys just to kill her she didn't understand why they still had her alive if they were just going to hurt her and torture her she couldn't go on with her life every single day with this fear and this pain and so she pled with the boys all the time to just kill her but the boys refused. Junko's body was so crippled to the point where it took her almost an hour to go upstairs. Just to the bathroom until later on she completely lost all control of her bowel movements, and because of this, the boys would punish her for it. She was also throwing up very often because, as I said, her body was just such in a deteriorating state that every time she would eat or drink something, her body would immediately reject it. And so when she would throw up, she would also get punished by the boys as well. Because of her injuries, her body and her face became extremely unrecognizable. They also found out later on in Junko's remains that her brain size had decreased due to dehydration, so most likely throughout the end of her captivity, she wasn't even fully conscious the whole time. Since Junko's body was in such a horrific and terrible state she was just slowly decaying in front of all of these boys and as her body started to decay she started to have a smell and when she had this decaying smell to her the boys immediately lost interest and so they kind of just pushed Junko off to the side and they went to go out and find another girl to replace her and the boy's brought her back and unfortunately raped her but after this happened they just let her go immediately. On January 4th of 1989 that is when Junko's long suffering would all end. When I was reading up on this case there were a lot of rumors on English websites that said that the boys had challenged Junko to a game of mahjong and she won and this story is extremely false because if you think about about Junko's state and physical state in this situation. If her brain had decreased so much due to dehydration, constantly going in and out of consciousness, and she didn't even have enough strength to go up the stairs... What makes you think that Junko would sit down and play a game of Mahjong and win a game of Mahjong? So there were a lot of articles that I read that said that, but that is completely false. That is not what happened. What actually happened though, all three of the boys actually went out that night to play a game of Mahjong. The boys actually lost their game of Mahjong, so they went back to Shinji's house to take out their frustration onto Junko. As a way of getting their frustration out on Junko, they beat her, whipped her, put candle wax on her eyelids, and beat her so badly that Junko was bleeding. And the boys, instead of stopping the beating, they didn't want to get blood on themselves, and so they decided to tape plastic bags around their hands and continue to abuse Junko. This attack had lasted, unfortunately, two hours until Junko had passed away in that moment because of it. When she did pass away, the boys didn't think at first that they killed Junko. They just assumed that Junko had passed out because as I said, she was always in and out of consciousness. So they assumed that she would wake up in a couple of hours. Until the next morning, Shinji's brother went to go see Junko and found her dead body lying in Shinji's room. So Shinji's brother told the four other boys, Shinji, Hiroshi, Joe, and Yasushi, he told all of them that Junko was not passed out, but she was indeed dead. So all five of them went up there. They're looking at Junko's body, that's when they realize that they actually did kill her. And so the five boys start panicking at this point. And so, in a panic, they wrap her body in several blankets and then put her body in a travel bag and put that travel bag in a 55 gallon drum filled the drum with wet concrete and disposed of it in a concrete truck. January 23rd of 1989, Hiroshi and Joe were arrested and questioned for the rape of the 19-year-old girl. This is the girl that I was talking about when um they basically just pushed Junko off to the side and they wanted to find someone to replace her. She went to the police anyways and she filed a report and so Joe and Hiroshi were getting questioned for this crime. During their interrogation there was also an unsolved double homicide in the town. It was a pregnant woman and her child and the police believed that the two boys were involved in this double homicide so they were kind of asking questions to the boys about a murder but didn't specify what murder it was and the boys thought that the police were asking them about Junko's murder. Murder and not this unsolved murder that happened. Hiroshi and Joe are in separate interrogation rooms. So when the police start questioning Hiroshi about a homicide, Hiroshi had assumed that Joe had maybe confessed to the murder of Junko and that's why they're asking these questions. Right then and there, Hiroshi just flat out confesses and he told the police exactly where Junko's body was in the concrete. The police hearing this are extremely surprised because they were not talking about Junko and as far as they knew from a month and a half ago they thought Junko had run away from home and she was staying with a friend. They didn't know that she was in danger at all so hearing this information was very surprising to the police because it's not what they were looking for. They later on find Junko's body in a concrete drum where they had put her and they were unable to identify identify her because her whole body was so unrecognizable, but how they were actually able to identify her was through fingerprints. That same exact day, Hiroshi and Joe were both arrested as well as Yasushi, Shinji, and Shinji's brother. And since at the time all the boys were under 18, their identities were anonymous from the public until later on a news outlet found out what the boys' names were and they released it to the public because they thought if you are going to do this horrific of a crime, your name should be public. Although these kids were young, they had done such a terrible and horrific crime and they do not deserve privacy after what they had done to Junko for an entire 38 days. All the boys later pled guilty to committing bodily injury that resulted in death. So in July of 1990, that is when all five of the boys were taken to trial. During the trial, when the boys were talking about all of this, Junko's family was actually there, and it was said that the mother had a mental breakdown during the trial after hearing all of the terrible things these boys had done to her daughter. So after they had explained to the court all of the terrible, terrible things that they had done, Hiroshi Miyano the ringleader of the entire thing. He was the one who wanted to keep Junko. He was the one who kidnapped Junko. He was the person who proposed the plan to everyone. He ended up only getting 17 years in prison. You would think this kid would get life in prison for what he did in fear he'd do something even more or even the same thing once he left prison. And if 17 years isn't frustrating enough, Hiroshi actually went to the court and argued that his sentence was too long and he actually tried for for a lesser sentence. He explained this to the court, whole time showing absolutely no remorse or realization of the extent of what he had done but the court ended up saying no and instead increased his sentence by three more years so now he was only serving 20 and was supposed to be released at the age of 38 years old. The court also ordered Hiroshi's family to pay a specific compensation to Junko's family for all that they have endured. So Hiroshi's family ended up selling their home for $425,000 and gave all of that money to Junko's family. Now, Shinji's sentencing, Shinji was the one that kept Junko in his house for a month and a half. He helped Hiroshi kidnap Junko. He uh, participated in a lot of the terrible things they would do to Junko, and Shinji was only given four to six years in prison. He later did the same exact thing that Hiroshi did and attempted to appeal his sentence, saying that it was way too long, but the court ended up giving him more time, so his new sentence was only five to seven years. Joe Orgura was also sentenced to only eight years in prison, and a lot of his fellow inmates said that Joe would frequently brag about what he did to Junko. He absolutely showed no remorse, no emotion to what he did to Junko, but he felt very proud of what he did. He also bragged about making newspaper headlines and that he was going to make history. Those are all of the extremely frustrating sentences that all of the boys ended up getting as far as the aftermath of it all on april 2nd of 1999 there was a funeral held for junko where one of junko's friends had said quote jun chan welcome back I would have never imagined that we would see you again in this way. You must have been in so much pain, so much suffering. The happy we all made for the school festival looked really good on you. We will never forget you. I have heard that the principal has presented you with a graduation certificate, so we finally got to graduate together. Jun Chan, there is no more pain, no more suffering. Please rest in peace. So even the people in Junko's community thought that the sentencing was way too short and extremely just insulting to the family knowing that Junko had been through so, so much torture and was murdered and her body was also just thrown to the side like concrete. It's just, it's so frustrating and even the community thought that this was a pathetic sentencing and that they should be in there for life and so the community tried to protest and try to argue with the court to extend their sentence. But the court did not budge at all. At Junko's school graduation, they gave the parents Junko's high school diploma as well as having a moment of silence for Junko. Junko's job at the electronics retailer that she was supposed to have after high school actually gave Junko's family the uniform that she would have worn at her job with her name and everything on it and they placed her uniform in the casket at her funeral. As Far as the four boys today as of 2022. Hiroshi had applied for parole in 2004 and was denied, but he was released in 2009 after only serving 18 years at the age of 36 years old and has since changed his name to Hiroshi Yokoyama. However, in 2013, he was rearrested for fraud, but due to insufficient evidence, he was later released and he is now still Walking the streets freely. He is roaming freely. He's not sitting and rotting in a jail cell. He is able to enjoy his life now, which is very. Very, very infuriating. As far as Shinji, Shinji was released in 1997 at 22 years old, and has since changed his name to Nobu Haru. And although Shinji's parents and brothers were not charged with being accomplices to the crime, but Junko's parents did successfully win a lawsuit against the parents. Shinji was released in 1997, but he was recently arrested back in 2018 for attempted murder and beating a 32-year-old man with a metal rod and slashing his throat with a knife. I hope that he's still in jail today, but I wasn't able to find his sentencing for this crime. As far as Yasushi, Yasushi was released in 1998 at the age of 24 years old and has since been living a quiet and private life. As far as Joe, Joe was released in 1999 at 25 years old and he had changed his name to Joe Kamisuku after being adopted by a supporter of his because I didn't even mention this but these boys had supporters um just like any other murderer really murderers for some reason have a really weird fan base and these kids also had a really weird fan base. After he was released and adopted, he went on to live a traditional life. He got a job, he got a girlfriend, but then in 2004, he was rearrested after the assault of Takatoshi Asano, a man that he believed his girlfriend was cheating on him with. So he tracked Takatoshi down, beat him, threw him in the back seat of his truck. He drove him up to a bar that his mother owned and continued to beat him for the next. Five. Four hours, saying that he was going to kill him and that he's killed before and got away with it. As I said, this was in 2004. So after all of this happened, he was only sentenced to seven years in prison and was later released in 2011. It was also said that Joe's mother went to Junko's grave quite frequently and vandalized Junko's grave, saying that Junko had ruined her young boy. life. What actual planet is this woman living on? What planet? That really frustrated me out of a lot of things that frustrated me throughout this entire case that she would blame Junko for everything even though they were the ones that were doing everything. That is where all of the boys are at today. None of them got life in prison and all of them are on the streets roaming the streets, like roaming amongst the public. That shouldn't be a thing. I know a lot of people could argue that possibly they gave them those short sentences because they knew that by that time they wouldn't re-offend. Maybe they would have learned their lesson. There is a high probability that if you are going to do something as graphic and horrific as that, you will re-offend in the future, you know? Not just a couple years in prison is going to change your mentality on that, but nonetheless, that's where this story ends. Um, I hope that Junko's family is trying to find peace within all of this, if you can even find peace in all of this. I hope that they're doing better. I hope that they continue to live on Junko's story, live out her legacy for the beautiful and incredible person that she was. She was responsible. She was mature. She was dedicated. She got good grades. She had a good friend group that she really, really cared about and she truly cared about every single person she came in contact with and such a wonderful girl and was destined to do so many incredible things and I really hope that the family is still trying to spread that message of hers and that is the end of today's video if you guys found this video interesting make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe on youtube or if you are listening to this on apple or spotify make sure to rate it five stars um that's all from me very very dark case i know very frustrating case i know Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about this case because boy do I have a lot to say about this case. If you want to follow me on any of my socials like my Instagram, that will be linked down in the YouTube subscription as well as my PO box if you want to send me anything. That is all from me and I will see you guys next week. Bye.